Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Boomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear their experience or visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising. If we're looking to engage them as a person and we're re- doing relationship building over time, I think we need to talk to the person more about their identity and who they see themselves as when they are supporting the organization. Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Boomerang. Today, I'm interviewing a group of incredible marketing consultants, and we are busting some major myths about donor engagement and relationship building and talking about how you can design campaigns for engagement. So often, campaigns are focused heavily on the money that comes in the door during the campaign itself, but what happens when we focus on engagement instead? What does it look like when we design for retention from the beginning? And how does that impact our short-term raise and our long-term fundraising? What changes and what stays the same? These are some of the guiding questions around our group chat, and I can't wait to dive into the conversation so you can learn from these powerhouse marketers and fundraisers. So let's jump in. Welcome everyone. I am so thrilled to be here today with a number of incredible consultants and thought leaders in the nonprofit space that I have a lot of respect and admiration for. And I'm so excited to be talking about how you build campaigns that engage people today in a really unique way. So let's start by just sort of introducing who is together on this group call. Catherine, let's start with you. Hey, thanks so much for having me today, Mallory, and what good company we're in. I'm Kat or Catherine. My pronouns are she, her. I answer to both or hey, you. And I am the founder and CEO of a social impact consultancy called Giant Squid Group that works specifically through an intersectional feminist and anti-racist lens when we're building capacity for our partners. Amazing. Thank you. And Sarah. Hi, thanks so much for including me in this group. I'm Sarah. And I am the founder of Charity Shift based in Toronto, Canada, and I help small nonprofits raise more money through customized solutions. Amazing. And Jordana. Hi, I'm Jordana Merkin, founder and CEO of Voice for Good. I help small nonprofits clarify their messaging so they can connect to those who matter most to their cause to raise awareness and funds for their mission. Amazing. And Caitlin. Hi, everybody. I'm Caitlin. I'm the nonprofit email marketing consultant, and I am so happy to be here today. And Natalie. Hi, everyone. I'm Natalie Monroe with Memory Fox, a video and photo story collection tool for nonprofits. Amazing. Okay. So we are going to be jumping in. And the inspiration behind having this conversation is that so often we see fundraising campaigns as a solution to or perceived solution to the need for influx of money right then and there in an organization. And 
oftentimes when we think and design campaigns from that lens, we are making a lot of short-term decisions about what we need to get money in the door now and advocating for research in our space around this too, around how, how we talk to people in a campaign today impacts their engagement and involvement in our organization six months, 12 months down the road. It Anyone can get a one-time donation. There are lots of levers that we can pull that get donors to give, but that gift is not always created equal in terms of what it means about solidifying the relationship with that donor. And so we want to have a bigger conversation around what does it look like to actually build and create campaigns that are focused on engagement and relationship building, and even with an eye towards retention in the long term. So I'm curious if anyone, even just hearing that kind of introduction to the topic at hand, has any initial thoughts that they'd like to share? I think a big piece of, if we're talking about engaging a donor or a supporter person, however you want to call it, someone in your audience, if we're looking to engage them as a person and we're doing relationship building over time, I think we need to talk to the person more about their identity and who they see themselves as when they are supporting the organization. So rather than making it transactional of, will you give to this particular cause? It's really getting the person to reflect on why this mission matters to them, why this cause out of all the causes out there in the world, what is it about this specific cause that really speaks to them as an individual? And how do you make it such a connection that rather than just being a campaign that I'm going to support because they asked me this month to this organization and this cause matters so much to me that it actually has become a, a part of who I am. And really that connection is solidified with that cause as opposed to just a transactional Sure, I'll give, and and that's the end of it. I love that. If I can build off of that, Sarah, what I was thinking about both when Mallory was talking and Sarah was talking, this is Catherine, was how frustrated I get as a donor around Giving Tuesday or our big day of giving and as a consultant, because I feel like we're just all vying for air. And so I actually went into my email last year and I looked at how many Giving Tuesday emails I had opened. And I'm sure like all of us, we get dozens upon dozens. And I had opened about three. And they were organizations that, like Sarah said, I felt really near and dear to because of what happened the other 364 days of the year. And one of them in particular, it's a a preschool. My kids never went there, but they share so many of my values in a time where it's very, I live in Texas, it's very hard to sort of navigate the waters right now. And so for instance, they just put up the most amazing pride post. And it was just a little breath of fresh air on my Facebook feed, a little reminder that there are still people out there making the world such a better place. And so I opened their emails because of the things they do, not just with me, but for the community. So along those lines, I would say that Mallory, you asked about campaigns, but I would say to Catherine's point, it's the 365 days a year. It's not just about a campaign. So I apologize if this is taking it in a direction you weren't intending, but to me, what I always focus on is the messaging that's the foundation for all of it and how you're going to be clear about leading with your values, about telling your stories in a way that resonates with the right people for you. And Catherine, that's such a beautiful example of that with that pride post in that school. And that that's how you're going to attract the right people. And that's how you're going to keep the right people engaged 
because everyone, you know, what we've said so far along the lines of retention and keeping people engaged. I also think a lot about quote unquote, your people. So who are the right people for you? And who are the people you already have? Because really, we never already have people, right? We have to continue to build on that relationship. We can't take it for granted that because they've given to us once or even twice that they're our people. So I think campaigns can be structured beginning, middle and end. And that's important. And I do think there's an important piece to shifting the conversation around the goals of campaigns. So it's not just about the dollar amount. But I think underlying all of that is the way that you engage your people throughout the year so that you're leading with your values, so that you have those messages out there so that people continue to want to, so that they see the value in what you're putting out there, right? It's not just about what you want to be putting out, but about the value that they're getting. Okay. So I definitely do want to talk about the kind of post-campaign communication in that year-round piece. The orientation toward the campaign that I want to double-click on for a second is when we think about, because so much of campaign fundraising, I think from the nonprofit lens, focuses on acquisition. They're thinking about new donors. So the campaign becomes the entry point to how people are getting to know the organizations. And I love what you guys are talking about so far in terms of It's about not just about like, what is this campaign designed to accomplish and how do we use these fear, guilt tactics to get people to give around some urgent matter, but still really rooted in the identity of the donor, the identity of the organization, the values of the organization. When you think about that from like a tactical perspective, like when you guys go in and you're helping rethink a campaign with an organization, what are some things when you see an organization focusing on maybe those short-term campaign metrics What are some things that change when they start to think about that deeper engagement? When you think about the tactics, I hear the storytelling piece, the value piece, and that connection, but does it change any of the actual fundraising tactics themselves? I can speak to a campaign that that I ran that has me really thinking about the shift from when we think about running the campaign to raise money to instead engaging our donors. What does that do? And a really surprising change that I witnessed was the way that our members, the people that we serve and support, felt seen and heard as kind of like secondary to what I was hoping to do from making donors feel appreciated. And so here's the example. A couple of years ago on Giving Tuesday, we decided to use this rather than a day to raise money, go into the giving season and use it as a day to show appreciation for our donors. And so we had a Farmer Veteran Coalition was the organization I worked for, and we had a small granting program where we awarded a piece of farm equipment to farmer veterans. And so my whole idea around this was let's see if we can collect video testimony from these grantees filming in piece in front of their piece of farm equipment they were awarded just with a little thank you message for our donors and we'll share these out on giving tuesday as a way to launch into the season with gratitude while i felt some anxiety around putting these members out asking them to commit the time to do this while they were busy on their farms doing the work What I was not anticipating and not expecting was how overwhelming the response was to do this. And also in hearing these members say, thank you for giving us the chance to say thank you to the community. So there's really something about when we give our community the chance to share in their own words and elevate their voices, it's conveying their own impact, but also sharing that impact with the donor. So it's kind of like a double impact at the same time. I think tactically thinking about this is a brand new person who is just giving a donation, even if it's a small donation, 
think about yourself. I always tell people like, put yourself in the shoes of your donor. Like, what do you want to see after you make a donation? You want a thank you, whether that be a personal thank you from a person, which would be amazing if you could do that for every person, but not everyone could do that. And then really bring them on a journey, like introduce them to your organization. What do you do? What's your mission? Telling those stories, like having maybe a series of emails that just introduces them to your organization. Tactically, that is a great option. I always say like automated emails. I'm the email consultant, so I'm going to talk about emails. Automated emails are great because you can really set it and forget it. You can put the parameters in your system saying that any new donor gets a series of 10 emails from now until three months from now. And what we know is statistically within the first 90 days, that's when the donors are really the most active and exciting, excited about your organization. So how do you get them involved? Ask them for their feedback. Send them a survey, get to know them. There's just so many different things you can do. In that period too, I would suggest excluding those folks from certain fundraising asks, which can be really hard, I think, for organizations to do, but we don't want to ask, 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 ask. Let's get them introduced to the organization first. Do you guys think about like, are there quick win fundraising strategies that you see used that you think actually burn bridges with donors in the long term. And I'm thinking particularly, I think this has to do both with tone and language in the emails itself, but also I'm wondering if you see any strategies where you're like, yeah, that might ultimately raise a little bit more for this campaign, but you're also going to alienate a lot of people doing that in the future. I'm curious what you guys see in that space? That's such a good question. And I think building on the idea that we need to be comfortable suppressing people on our lists and asking the right people at the right time. I think we also need to remember that our donors are not a monolith and people respond differently. So for me personally, I hate getting texts. I find them hugely intrusive. And the idea that just because I made a donation at one time on a site, I've opted in to get this channel of conversation is a huge turnoff for me. And I also know I'm, I might be alone in that, right? Some people love text, some people love email, some people love direct mail. And so I think that taking the time to identify how your donors want to be talked to goes such a long way in preserving those relationships because then instead of the ask being intrusive or God forbid, like waking them up from a nap because your phone goes off, it's welcome. And that can happen those other 364 days of the year. Like you said, you know, send a survey out, keep your database cleaned up. And I think that can seem like a lot of work, but it's well worth it if you really want to treat your donors as part of the campaign and not just an ATM. I was going to say from the perspective of the language and all of that, that's what I think about a lot. And the fake urgency, I think, is really just a huge mistake. Honestly, in some cases, even if it's real urgency, there's always urgency, right? You're having campaign, you need the money now. I get it. But putting that on your donors is like, okay, but it can't always be an emergency, right? So then you may get the donation now, but then what happens next? And then how are you building a relationship that the premise was like, okay, we need your money this second. So there are ways to do it. You can still demonstrate the impact and share those stories and do all the right things after. But when you're starting from that place, there's sort of 
this transaction that comes with it. And when you want to be careful to make sure that there are emergencies, and that's true, but depending on your mission and what's going on in your world at that moment, you want to really be careful with how you use that because that can really backfire. People are like, okay, well, I gave it to you because you needed it then, but now I want nothing to do with you. So that foundation in a relationship and in building up that interaction is really going to serve you more in the long run. I think there are ways you can do this successfully of asking, closely following up on a first donation in a way that is of value to the donor. And so, for example, if your nonprofit runs multiple programs or has various areas of impact and you get a first time donation and you start nurturing that relationship with the donor. And part of that looks like asking them which program they're most interested in supporting, but also hearing impact updates about. And so you begin that kind of funneling them into that program and sharing these impact updates and then asking them if there's a campaign surrounding that program to donate to that particular program because you know that's a program that's of interest to them, I think you might see success in them not just feeling like an ATM because you're asking them to donate across the board, but because you're really giving them a proposition and inviting them to donate to something that's of value to them and they find interest in. You know, it's interesting in like major gifts fundraising and corporate fundraising, a lot of what I focus on in terms of coaching fundraisers is around permission, like getting permission to make a certain ask and permission to move a relationship to the next level. And just hearing what you were saying, Catherine, about text, it's like there's so much in campaign fundraising that we might have gotten legal permission for, but it doesn't really feel like we got personal permission for always. And so there's this piece around like conscious choice and like how does conscious choice ultimately impact our relationship with folks. And I know I recently ran a product launch for the first time in my business and I felt really nervous about the amount of emails that were going to come out and the way it would impact my relationship with my list potentially. And I'm not afraid of unsubscribes. Like I think at the end of the day, like if people are going to unsubscribe from your list, that means they never wanted to hear from you again instead of ignoring some emails. And so I think like, that's fine. Like for the people who never want to hear from me again, awesome. Like please set your own boundaries and take care of yourself. But I felt more conscientious of the relationship, how it would impact my relationships with folks who weren't interested in the product. And so I did this thing where at the top of all of the emails, at the very top of all the emails that I sent about this product, I gave people an opt out just for that sequence. I said, like, I'm going to be talking about this product. If you don't want to hear any more about this, click here. You'll stay on the newsletter. But I felt like I wanted to give them a choice really front and center that allowed them to like basically me asking for permission for them to get this very particular thing. Do you see strategies like that being used in fundraising campaigns? What are some of them and what are some of the results you've seen from things like that? I don't think I'm seeing enough of this in the nonprofit world. I got a couple of emails from for-profit businesses prior to Mother's Day this year. We understand Mother's Day can be a difficult day for some people. If you don't, similar to what you were saying, Mallory, if you don't want to receive emails specifically about this, right, not opting out in general, then, you know, click here to let us know. And I thought that was such a beautiful way to really 
you know, I say all the time, like when you're talking about communications, show me, you know, me like that is the key to all communication and then just understanding what your audience is looking for. And it was such a beautiful way to say, tell us what you're looking for or tell us what you're not looking for, which often is more important. Right. So, you know, then whoever clicked that was opted out of mother's day. And it just was this, this moment of, I see you and I understand this is not a day for everybody. And I'm not seeing a ton of that on the nonprofit side. And I think it's hard for us to Caitlin's point to opt people out of certain things. We want to cast as wide a net as possible, but really the more you can have your audience feel seen and heard in each of your communications, the more successful you're going to be. Dragana, I think I've had it happen once in my entire life. And it was about 15 years ago. And I still remember how validating it was to just get an email saying, hey, we're gearing up for our year. What do you want to hear about? And I think it really helps deepen that relationship to go a little further, because in this case, it was a a theater that I was an avid member of and was excited to get more involved with. But they also had a lot of summer camps, a lot of educational programming. And at that point, I was like 23 and didn't have kids. and I didn't want emails about summer camp. And I, I felt like my time was respected as a patron and a donor to just be able to say, don't email me about summer camp. A lot of nonprofits don't have that option. They just have one unsubscribe. And so if you just have one unsubscribe, you're really missing opportunities to engage with people in other ways. So for example, if you're a patient and you don't want fundraising communications or asks, you should give them that option to opt out of fundraising asks, but they could still receive information, resources, other types of communication. So I always say, decide kind of what those buckets are and give people the opportunity to opt out of certain communications instead of just having one overall unsubscribe from your entire list. That might be the start of a really great campaign. Going back to Mallory's original question of of how do we take this more tactically is if you know you're going to be launching a campaign similar to how Mallory was launching her product, you can do some list cleanup. You don't have to tell people, hey, we're going to be launching a campaign, but you could send some surveys. What do you want to hear about? Do you want to hear more or less? Or we're going to start emailing a little bit more. There are things you want to hear about. And it's not necessarily unsubscribe people, but if you can allow people to opt into the segments that interest them, then they're doing the work for you to segment your list. And you're not having to go back and necessarily clean up your database, which might be sound really overwhelming to people. They're opting in. Dana, your point really hit home with me for nonprofit and the for-profit space because in a nonprofit role, we did a decade anniversary celebration where we looked back on 10 years over 10 days and celebrated each of those years. And we knew that this might be a lot for people to get 10 emails in a row. So we did give them the option to opt out just for that one little campaign we were running through email. But really, the whole idea for that came from a campaign I had run in the for-profit world that was a holiday promotion, 12 days of holiday promotions. And we had so many people coming to us as we ran that saying, please remove me from this. And that kind of spurred this idea of, well, maybe we don't need to remove them permanently. They're just feeling flooded at the holiday time with so many emails. So that led to us saying, well, let's just give them the option to unsubscribe from this one campaign. And so that was top of mind for me as I ran it in the nonprofit world. And so you're right. I think there are a lot of things we can learn in that regard from companies. And then they end up not getting your emails, but they feel closer to you. So it's a win-win for everybody. 
you know, what was also super interesting. So in doing that and putting that at the top of my emails, there were two really interesting impacts. I think one was that I felt a lot more comfortable sending as many emails as I was sending. So I think had I not put that there, I probably would have been a lot more reserved or like caveated my language in different ways. Like I was able to be a lot more bold in my invitations because I felt like people really had that choice. So if they were there, they they were deciding to be there. The other thing that was super interesting was that not that many people used it, but it doesn't mean that everybody joined the program and lots of people were still opening and reading. And I think there's something to be said about them feeling like they had that choice, even if they didn't take that choice that felt really like respectful and made it a lot easier for them to like ignore it or not feel like it was being pushy or shoved down their throat, even if they didn't actually actually go through the process of removing themselves. And so even for organizations who are hearing this, who are like, I don't have the cap the technology like to be able to have an auto unsubscribe, depending on the size of your list and your staff team, I would say like put at the top email so-and-so to get removed from the sequence. The likelihood that you're going to get bombarded with hundreds of those requests is very, very low. But even giving people the option, the opportunity, making it clear that you're giving them a choice to be included in this. You understand this is more communication than you usually send. I think sends a really good message to folks as well. And I'll piggy on, piggyback on that because not only when we ran these campaigns have that link, like you're referring to Mallory at the top or at the bottom, wherever we put it to opt out, but we also sent one introductory email before we even started the campaign to let them know, hey, this is coming. If you don't want to get this many emails over the course of the next week and a half, two weeks, opt out now. Not that we didn't give them the opt out each day, but that was setting the stage so they knew what they were getting themselves into and could opt out at the beginning. The other thing it did was for the people who were interested, it built some anticipation and excitement around looking forward to receiving the campaign in the following days. Yeah, I love that. I'm curious when you guys are looking at engagement, I'm curious how you look at engagement metrics during a campaign and any metrics that you track in terms of retention downstream. Like, what are you paying attention to, to be able to, and I know depending on your work with clients, you may or may not be capturing data six to 12 months, but even in terms of what you encourage organizations to track, like I just feel like if we're looking a week after a campaign only to say this campaign was successful, we only really have the engagement success of the short-term impact of the campaign and we're missing how that campaign impacted long-term engagement. So I'm curious how you guys think about this, track this, et cetera. I can talk about it more from a qualitative perspective, but I'm curious, Caitlin, because I know this is kind of your area of expertise, if you have more of it from a quantitative perspective. I do. So typically I'll look at an email list. If the goal is engagement, then click-through rates are a big metric that we look at. So you want to be able to tell what actions people are taking on your email. So if they're clicking, that's a marker of engagement. They're clicking the email, they're going to your website, a landing page, something along those lines. I also look at replies. So oftentimes we encourage people reply to this email if you have questions. It's a great way to get people engaged. And then look at 
your unsubscribes. We were just talking a lot about unsubscribes. If you're sending a campaign and you're getting tons of unsubscribes and the unsubscribe rates are skyrocketing or people are marking you as spam, those are things you really want to look at and see why is this happening. I'll add to that. One of the things that this goes back to what we were talking about a little bit before, making sure that when you are sending out emails, that they're coming from an individual person whenever you can. And that in every communication, one way or another, you're asking what inspired the gift. And part of the reason that I talk about this as sort of qualitative engagement is because that way you're really finding out directly from people what it was that connected them to your organization. And it's something that you can then take that content, figure out what it was that worked, and then reuse that same idea. So if somebody said, I really connected with that story, or, you know, I saw your social media post, and then also the email and they were connected, whatever it happens to be, you take that qualitative data and you use it to inform what you're going to be doing next. And I think kind of like taking that information, it's hard to quantify, right? Like we're fundraisers. We know how to quantify retention rates, dollars in all that stuff. But when it comes to the engagement piece, like that's what I think at the beginning of a campaign, we need to be able to establish what does success look like? How do we measure that? Because it won't necessarily be dollars. And we have to be honest with how are we going to say that this is successful and what learnings do we take that we then apply to similar campaigns going forward? I also wanted to add that you can look at your database as a whole, see how many people have entered the database in the last, let's say, 30 days. So those are brand new people. And then follow the journey and see how active they are. Because a lot of times, that's how you can tell brand new people are entering and they're having those touch points throughout the first 30, 90 days of being in your system. That's also a good way to tell if there are inactive people within your database, like lapse donors, people that are like long lapse donors, they're in there, but like are not being engaged with it at all. That's a great way to tell who are those chunks, those segments that are in there in your database that are taking up these seats, aka money that you're spending but you're not engaging with them and think of new ways to engage with them. Or if there are additional strategies to engage with new donors, you could usually tell through that when we're talking about retention over a period of time. Have you guys ever compared retention numbers across different sources? For example, let's say an organization had two campaigns throughout the year, one of them around Giving Tuesday, end of year, one of them in the spring, and then look, compared the retention number of new donors that came in through each campaign a year out. I've seen some macro level data around this in terms of how first-time involvement around Giving Tuesday or end of year is higher than, for example, other giving days throughout the year, which I'm not validating that data at all. That is third-party referenced in a LinkedIn post. But I see people talk about this all the time, that like how somebody becomes a donor for the first time can impact their retention long-term and that you can compare those data sets based on the original source. I'm curious if any of you have ever done that and if there's been any sort of interesting reflection or learning from that. First, T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. 
It's saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. One of the things that I see often and sure know I experienced when I was in-house is that's the aspiration and it can be so hard to do. And so often where I see a lot of great progress is starting small, starting with what is sort of considering the low-hanging fruit. So for instance, I am fortunate enough to be on the board of an organization here that started doing that, looking at emergency funding. We had a lot of funding come in after Hurricane Harvey down here in Texas. We had a lot of funding come in after the winter storm Ira, and it was wonderful. It was a huge influx of of cash and community engagement. And then next year, it started to, quote unquote, pull down our metrics because people weren't renewing. And so we did realize that we needed to pull out those times as outliers and look at who made a first-time gift, say, in that six-week period around the winter storm when communities were rebuilding and bless and release those people. Not necessarily get rid of them altogether, but not count on them giving again and not counting them in the annual fund campaigns and not counting them on even giving Tuesday. And that really helps get clarity and treating them as a different segment has been really helpful, but it has been really incremental, right? And this is a 10-year-old organization that's really grown leaps and bounds. And we're just now getting to a point where the staff has the room to breathe to even say, let's start analyzing data. And so I think that if people are going, I want to do that, and that sounds so hard, it's maybe just start with one campaign and see where that's potentially playing out. We talk a a lot about this on our team of what does success look like from an engagement standpoint. And we're not only doing it from like donor engagement, but also your community engagement. And so when you talk about collecting content from your community, what are your goals for success? And sometimes an organization might start defining a goal or they think this is their goal of what's going to define a successful campaign. But then as they move forward and experiment, that number shifts or that target shifts. And so I think that's an important part to keep in mind is that we have to be comfortable with those goals being fluid and constantly refine them as we test and experiment. Sometimes you do want a compilation of content to weave something together for an impactful piece. Sometimes maybe you just need one video that's gonna get you support your grant application and win you that grant award. And I think back to a couple of campaigns that I ran where I put out a call for video and we had a membership of 30,000 people. I got seven videos, which it's enough to make something, but to me, it wasn't as much as I had hoped for. Two months later, I put out a call for photos and I got 800. And so part of that was, how do you make a simple, low barrier ask to get good engagement? And I also think that part of the reason I was able to get such participation the second time around is possibly because I had primed them with that first ask. And so your first campaign might not be successful because you're teaching your community what it looks like to engage and participate with you. And once they see that initial piece that you've used with their content, then ultimately they might be more willing to participate on the secondary and the third campaign. So always being open to shifting those numbers and really evaluating after the fact, what are we going to, what did we have success in doing with this? And how can that help us moving forward in, in future campaigns? As a marketer, I feel like we're all like, oh, this question is really hard because marketing and development, it's really hard to get the two on the same page, at least from my experience. And sometimes the development team, the fundraising team is like, holds on to that information and you don't 
necessarily have access to the source of that information. And so you have to almost believe like what they tell you. And I'm the marketer, so I would love to hear from the fundraising perspective. This is our retention rate. And you have to figure out how to be an investigator around that. So for me, that looks like segmentation, like you segment and tag all of your donors. And then throughout the year, you can cross reference how many of those donors have given again, or even like clicked on a button. Because <laughs> once they click, you might not have access to those people who have then donated. And so figuring out on the front end, how many people are donors, but then clicked is a good way to show some sort of retention or like flag that donors are then having the intention to give. For me, it's like really hard to get that information and be able to trust the source of it unless you have access to the information. Does anybody else have that same experience? Jordana, you're smiling. I'm also a marketer. And though I do often wear the fundraising hat as well, and I'm smiling because this harkens back to Mallory's last group conversation for her podcast, the silos we all live in and how, yeah, sometimes it is hard to have the two sides speak. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes the data is easy to capture and is there and sometimes it's not. It's just hard with retention. Like there's so many things that I think impact retention, some of them because of how we've behaved maybe in a hasty way, like when we do bust out with the fake urgency or even real urgency and we're in that scarcity mindset and we're feeling really overwhelmed. And so we're communicating from that place and that has an impact on our donors. And it would be so helpful to be able to show then the data around like, listen, like you think you don't have the time to like take a breath and really plan out this campaign. But the reality is, is like this does a lot more harm than it does good in the long run. Like it would be so helpful to be able to show that with the numbers. And then I think there are some times where like our retention number gets impacted impacted by things that aren't our fault that I think it's helpful to segment out things like peer-to-peer -peer campaigns. I think peer-to-peer -peer campaigns are awesome for a lot of reasons, but the retention that you're going to see on peer-to-peer -peer donors is going to be different than people who are donating directly to your organization. And that's okay. Like when I think about retention of peer-to-peer, -peer, I think about retention of the people fundraising, not the donors of those people, because it makes complete sense that you're not going to see the same type of retention. And so I feel like we use these like blanket metrics to like understand sort of quote unquote, how good we're doing with retention when there's obviously like understandable behavioral differences, but then also things that we really can impact. I'm curious, like, so this is the fundraiser and probably this is a rub with marketing, what I'm about to say. And I find it problematic as well. But I feel like when we think about the sort of quote unquote engagement ladder of folks in our orbit, we think about how we move people from the one-to-many communications, the grassroots fundraising into our major donor pipeline or more of that one-to-one -one relationship. And we have all these different tools to try to identify who those people might be. And then all of a sudden they enter that funnel and there's this whole different way that we think about and track engagement and all those things. And so there are these big groups of people that 
are consistently giving to organizations in campaign style involvement, but might never actually move into that pipeline. And so I've been really curious for strategies or tips or ideas around how marketing campaign fundraising can elevate the voices of those people, make those people feel really special and included. And just what are different things that organizations should be thinking about in terms of, hey, like, don't forget these people who have been giving to every single campaign you've ever run for five years and they're giving $25, but like they show up every single time. And that is really meaningful and that they are really engaged. How do we intentionally deepen those relationships and see the value in doing so while knowing that they may never be a big quote unquote donor? I think that that same principle of show me, you know me applies at every giving level. And I think it's also important to remember that on the marketing side, right, we think of our communications as one to many, but there still needs to be that within that framework of show me, you know me is there needs to be that personal connection. So this is true, certainly in email, like the more we can segment, you can thank people for being a $25 donor for X number of campaigns or X number of years. And you're thanking them for who they are, not for who they're not, not for saying like, could you also be a different kind of donor? But no, it's thank you for being this kind of donor. Even in social media, it's a two-way street. So if you're able to identify if it's the same people who are always commenting on your posts or even just liking your posts, then like their posts, right? Like build that relationship and it's okay to, you know, not especially on social media. To, I always say that organizations need to sound human. So even if it's like your organization's account, it's okay to say, you know, if you see that person is celebrating a birthday, happy birthday, you know, from us here at this organization, they sound like a person. That's an important messaging is having a voice, a tone, a style that you use as an organization and really putting that out there, even when you're communicating one to many, because that's, again, how people feel seen and heard and valued by your organization. One of the things that I've really been encouraging the charities that I work with to try is to reach out to their most engaged audience members. So it might be donors. It might just be the people who are opening every email or have a really high click-through rate is to reach out to them and ask them for a 15-minute phone or Zoom call and just be super clear, like, this is not a fundraising ask. You will not be asked for money. But what you're really working to do is, number one, of course, you're working to build engagement with that individual person, but you're also looking to gain feedback of what it is that they like about your organization, why they feel connected. And you can take what you learn from there and apply it other places. And I found that what's really interesting is not only do you get to hear about your organization through someone else's perspective, which is always going to be eye-opening. You also get the opportunity to hear about the things that they didn't know about. And I've found that really interesting when you'll say to people, oh, last month we sent you this email that was about this topic. And we've had people say, I didn't see it. Or what even is that? I don't know. And it's recognizing that when we're inside of an organization, we're so close to all of the content. We assume everybody knows what we're talking about. So getting that perspective from somebody who's engaging with us and really hearing it directly from them, we can then take that and apply it, knowing that if they're the most engaged, what do we need to take from what they're enjoying? And how do we apply that so that even more people are engaging in the same way? 
I love you sharing that story, Sarah. And I had a really interesting experience a few months ago where I surveyed my whole list. And I feel like I talk about my signature program, like until I'm blue in the face, Power Partners. And I asked who had heard of it at like the very end of the story or at the end of the survey. And 50% of people had never heard of the program. And these are the people who are clearly like the most active on my list. They took the time to respond to the survey, all of those things. And so I think it's such an important reminder. Like, I think that's why this fusion of integrating types of communication that feel good to everyone, asking for permission, being a human on both sides, and then not being afraid of like, am I emailing too much? Because we've done these other things to sort of safeguard around the relationship that we're having. And we're taking into account how they like to be communicated with all those different things. And then we can, because people are missing tons of communication from us and they've seen like one sixteenth in our head or like, oh my gosh, they've seen 16 emails from me. And it's like, no, they've seen one. <laughs> and even for the people who are opening the emails, like they're reading it in seven seconds in the midst of 45 other tasks. Like the amount of time it took you to write that email is like not comparable to the amount of time it took to read that email or the way it's cemented in their memory. And so I think this combination of like how you focus on what you're saying, how you're saying it in the relationship with which you're saying it is such an important part of it. We talk about donor fatigue so often in terms of like how much we're emailing. And I don't think actually that is where donor fatigue comes from at all. I think it's 100% in how we're communicating. Like if your donors are fatigued, they're probably fatigued with the type of communication and the way they're being talked to or the fake urgency, not because we don't get fatigued in relationships that feel good. They just continue to feel good. And so I think all these points are so helpful. I'm curious, like, this is kind of more of a mindset question, but, and I know this came up on the last podcast where I was bringing together fundraisers and marketers and this tension that I know exists between marketers that I think do a much better job than fundraisers around tracking engagement metrics and looking for evidence that something went well beyond just the money. And fundraisers have a tremendous amount of pressure on them. And they're often only held accountable for, unfortunately, the money. And so it can make a campaign like this really challenging and a big point of tension because sometimes, correct me if you disagree, you might have to sacrifice a few hundred dollars, a thousand dollars in short-term money to not burn your list or burn your relationships. And I think this comes down to like how we define what worked or what works in fundraising. And I'm curious for those of you, especially who have had to navigate maybe the development department and the marketing department, like what are some things you've said or talked about that you feel like have worked to get everyone on the same page in terms of valuing engagement metrics? So I talk a lot about the pipeline. We mentioned earlier that when you're thinking about one-to-many communication, building those individual relationships is what, for better or for worse, I know there are downsides of this framework also, but it does sort of funnel people into this deeper relationship. And that's often how it will turn into a larger gift down the road. And so taking the time, though I find in terms of metrics, 
we're always both in my experience on the marketing side and the fundraising side, just onto the next. So it's hard to value it all around, right? It's, well, what, what do we need to track? Okay, let's track what we have to, and then let's move on. Or let's not even pay attention to that until we need to next time. I've run into that also, where it's like, you arrive at the same campaign a year later and it's like, well, how did we do last time? Because the day the campaign was over last time, we had this other huge priority and then we didn't, you know, so you obviously want to make sure that you are tracking what you can in real time and then taking some time to really evaluate it post-campaign. But I find that it's actually the struggle is real kind of on both sides just because everyone is so busy and moving on. And But in terms of getting everyone on the same page, I think it really is just that like we're all in the relationship building business, whether it feels more one-to-one or one-to-many. When you come at it from that perspective, then you know today's $50 donor is tomorrow's $5,000 donor or whatever those numbers look like for your organization. So it's just remembering that we all have the same goals at the end of the day. I think we all know our donors are aging. And so if we take a look at who are major donors today, who are the donors who've left us legacy gifts and when did they first get connected to your organization? And chances are it was a long time ago. And so what are we doing so that the actions we're taking today are going to be making a difference in 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now. And so coming at it from that perspective to your point of pipeline is like, how are we going to be engaging and bringing in new people into the organization, regardless of how much they're giving today, but what are we doing to establish and like continually building that pipeline? So I think that's an important thing to kind of frame with all of this. Thank you for that. I know we're almost out of time. Is there anything I didn't ask that you feel like I should have asked or any missing piece of advice for nonprofits when it comes to deepening engagement through their campaigns specifically? I think I see a missed opportunity in the space of not giving our donors the chance to talk to each other. And whether that's around a campaign or just creating a space in general, I think Offering that op- them that opportunity to share their stories with one another, the reasons why the mission matters to them, why they want to participate, is not only going to make them feel more engaged and connected to a community beyond just the people they see being served by the mission, but also other people who care about the mission. The other thing it does is it makes the lift easier on our staff not having to constantly be the ones engaging. And we all know we need to engage, but I think part of the challenge is we just don't have the bandwidth to always do it. So if we can instead put that um, in a community where the donors could talk to each other and invite them to bring their friends in, that's going to create more loyalty ultimately. I was just going to add, I think all of this might seem overwhelming to somebody at a nonprofit. And so I just want to encourage people to just start somewhere, start somewhere small, Um, whether that be one personalized email, a postcard you send home or an invite to an in-person event, like just start somewhere with the intention in mind that the goal is engagement and have just something small. And every year, every quarter, add something new, test it, see how it goes. Doesn't have to be this big campaign or something large and overwhelming. Along those lines, I was going to make the case for repurposing. We talked a lot about segmenting, which does create more work. And especially at a small nonprofit, which is who I work with, that seems overwhelming to Gaitlin's point, but it doesn't need to be a completely new communication for every segment. You do want to show me, you know me, I know I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face, but it's, you want to have that outlook when you're looking at communicating with someone, you want to speak to them for who they are. 
But then ultimately the content of your email, you can tell the same story to all the different groups, right? You can make a similar ask or, you know, depending on your goals of all of the groups, but you just want to frame it with, hey, we know you're a consistent $25 donor versus your major donor versus you're a volunteer and maybe never donated anything, but we're still so grateful to have you be a part of this organization. So once you're doing that piece, then you can definitely repurpose the same content over and over again, because as we've said here, they're not following your content like you are. So don't worry about telling them the same thing more than once. They need to hear it more than once. And that also lightens the load for those in-house or whoever's doing the writing as well. And I'll echo all those baby steps and say, we hear so often that we need to have seven touch points of gratitude for everyone asked. And that itself can seem daunting. But what if we just, when we finished a fundraising campaign, instead of before we launched an move into sharing the impact of that one campaign and just do a one-to-one before we launch the next fundraiser, share the impact. And I just wonder what that would do for our donors. I love that. Thank you so much, all of you for joining me for this conversation today and for talking about all of this so candidly. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun to spend afternoon together. Okay, there is so much inside this episode that I love, but here are my favorite takeaways that I'm clicking on right now. Number one, with the increasing decline in giving in the nonprofit sector, it's crucial to build campaigns that aim not only at collecting donations, but also at fostering meaningful relationships with donors. Number two, when your donors see that their values resonate with your cause and the specific initiatives they support, it significantly improves their commitment and engagement. Number three, Cultivating personal connections with donors is a powerful strategy for enhancing donor engagement and loyalty, and connections can be fostered by demonstrating your understanding of donors as individuals, acknowledging their interests, appreciating their generosity, and making them feel like they're an integral part of your organization's mission. Number four, using the right language, tone, and medium to communicate with donors while maintaining consistency across all channels can significantly enhance donor interaction and engagement. Number five, demonstrating appreciation for donors, however big or small, helps in making donors feel valued and fosters stronger connections. And lastly, tracking donor engagement and retention is key to understanding how well your engagement tactics work. Pay attention to and analyze key metrics such as click-through rates, replies to emails, unsubscribe rates, or spam marks, and that can provide valuable insights into donor interest and satisfaction. Okay, for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Catherine, Sarah, Natalie, Jordana, and Caitlin, and our amazing sponsors, Bloomerang. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. Hey. 
Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.